Throwdown Thursday podcast. My name is Patrick Rahal, but you can call me Patsy the Angry Nerd. And uh, we are here quarantining live in the Pat Cave deep within Magenta Manor. And uh, just in case you were wondering, we are brought to you by Deadly Grounds Coffee. Once you go deadly, you don't go back. Uh, I feel like I have to say that because I, I drank like three cups of that today because I'm so tired and I was so busy today. Uh, and I was up way earlier than usual. Speaking of being way up earlier than usual, I wasn't the only one because I am also joined by <laughs> someone who was <laughs> way up earlier than usual with me. She is my co-host on the show and my co-host in life. She is the Baroness of Bordeaux, the Countess of Cabernet, the Mistress of Merlot, the Princess of Pinot Grigio. I don't like that one. It just popped into my head and I don't like that one. The Real Housewife of Transylvania, the Michael Phelps of Wine, Queen of the Monsters, and an Honorary Lizzie. It's Ashes Von Nightmare. May the seventh be with you. It, it doesn't have the same ring to it, does it? May the fourth be with you. That works. May the, the seventh the be. Well, it's, it's Revenge of the Fifth, which really it should be Revenge of the Sixth. sixth. It, nothing, nothing about May 7th. I mean, the fourth could be the fourth awakens, like if Mike Tyson was saying it. <laughs> the fourth awakens. It's like unconscionable. But uh, because this is Star Wars week and uh, we want to talk about Star Wars stuff, because we can do Star a Wars. <laughs> Star Wars. Um, I did see a funny thing earlier uh, this week, and it was uh, a couple of people dressed in. Uh, I think it was from uh, one of the parody sites. I forget which one. Maybe like the HardTimes.net might have been them. It wasn't the Onion, but uh, it was a couple of people dressed up as Star Trek uh, characters, and one of them said like. Star Trek fan refused to say May the 4th be with you, says Happy Holidays instead. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's pretty good. I thought it was pretty funny, but you know, we are uh we are a, a Star Wars household more than we are a Star Trek household. Not that there's anything wrong with Trek. I do enjoy it. I just I could I could never get into it. I still think the best one is uh four, Star Trek Four, The Voyage Home, because it had the whales in it and Spock trying to interact in the 1980s, and probably the greatest line Wait, in cinematic is this like history. Space whales? No, like regular humpback whales. Oh, it would have been better if it was space whales. Well, what happens is, uh, so we get sidetracked right off the bat. What happens is this probe comes from like out of nowhere in space. It looks like a long black log with a soccer ball hanging off of it. It's really weird, and it's making these weird sounds. And um, I forget where they are. They're on. They're on another planet. Tatooine. No, I think Vulcan because it's Spock's house. So they're on Vulcan, and they don't have the Enterprise. They have a Klingon bird of prey because of the events of what happened in the previous movie, uh, Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. Spoiler: uh, They found him. <laughs> so he, uh, they get this transmission from Earth. Because this thing is causing havoc with the ionosphere, like massive storms, like the planet can't take it much longer. Like the intensity of like this signal that's coming from this probe is just like causing massive tidal waves, like all kinds of shit's getting fucked up. And Spock's like, 
trying to figure out what it is because you know he's the science guy, and he he uh, he's talking to the computer on the um, on the the Klingon bird of prey, and he's like, "How would this sound underwater?" And he's listening to it, and he just goes, "Fascinating!" And he like runs off to like look up what the what the thing is, and Spock, uh, Kirk's like, "What is? What are you?" What's what's going on? Like, what are you doing? He goes, if I'm correct, this probe is looking for is it's it's sending out a signal, and there can't be an answer to it because, like, what we hear, like you know, you could hear what the signal sounded like, but it's like underwater. It was whale songs, specifically humpback whale songs, and they had been extinct for like eight hundred years. So they're like, oh shit, what are we gonna do? And then like. Uh, Kirk's like, start the calculations for time travel. And so, like, they slingshot around the sun at ten times the speed of light, and that brings them back to, like, 1986. And, like, so they don't have any money because nobody uses money in the, in, in Star Trek. No one's going to take my space bucks. And they're, yeah, they only took 238 space bucks for lunch, gas, and tolls. Um. And, like, they're trying to fit in, and, like, Kirk walks in front of a car and almost gets hit. The guy's like, ah, what's wrong with you, you dumbass? And Kirk's like, well, uh, double dumbass on you. (laughs) (laughs) Some of the shit is hilarious. Like, when they catch Chekhov on the uh, nuclear sub because they need, like, a a fuel cell to get back you know, so they could power themselves back up because, like, they're just hanging out with a cloaking device in, like, a park in San Francisco. And, you know, Chekhov is Russian, and it's like, like, oh, so you are, you are obviously a Russian spy. It's really good. I like it a lot. Um, it's one that we should, you know, it's a series we should watch. I really think you would like it. We'll see. Viger. Which on Futurama is the V Jiny. But uh, getting uh, back on topic, today we're talking about a little bit of uh, Star Wars and some of the more recent Star Wars. We're going to be talking about uh, The Mandalorian, specifically uh, Din Djarin and the little, little green. And as a result, we're talking about the little green baby babushka. Little green guy. I'm so excited. His name is Mittens. It is not Mittens. You don't know. I'm going to change Wikipedia. Like, his <laughs> name is Mittens. <laughs> Mittens the child. No. You know what? No. Don't change Wikipedia because you're going to piss somebody off and they're going to be so angry that they're going to, like, do the computer stuff and They'll find be mad enough to your, tear the ears off a of Gundark. Your address or whatever the hell it's called and, like, they're going to track you down. These Baby Yoda fanatics, they are very fanatical. Yeah, that's why they're they will They will cut a bitch. Mm. Well, good In the name of the child. So... Uh, we decided we were going to talk a little bit before we get into uh, the main topic. We're going to talk a little bit about... Because one of the big things uh, that defines a Mandalorian is the style of their armor. And... Beskar. Beskar is the type of armor, the the metal that uh, the Mandalorians use for many, 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 many years because it's so durable. 
Uh, it can repel lightsabers. It can pel- repel uh, blaster bolts. And we see that repeatedly. Not the lightsabers, but the blaster bolts. And The armor definitely saves his ass on multiple, multiple occasions. occasions. Yes, many, many times. Even it even saves another character at one point inadvertently. Yes. Um, but there are uh, a lot of different types of armor throughout the Star Wars universe. And we thought we would talk a little bit about some of our favorite armor designs um, going through, you know, the uh, expanded universe that we've gotten to see over the past, you know, five, six years. And so I will start. Um, One of my favorite armors is from uh, one of the more recent, and it's kind of like a one-off because you don't really, you know, you don't get to see these guys ever again. But it's the uh, Scarif Troopers from Rogue One. Uh, they had, like, it was a different style of helmet. Um, they had, like, blue stripes on them and, like, different things to indicate rank. And um, kind of like baggy khaki pants tucked into their really high uh, armored shin guards. But I just, I really dug the design. Um, I just thought they looked really cool. It just, uh, for me, like, you know, I want to find one of their, one of the figures at some point. Um, but I just really dug the way they looked. Um, and not that there's anything wrong with a classic stormtrooper, but the, the scare of troopers are just a little more beat up and weathered. And, you know, they just, they seem like they've gotten a lot of use on a tropical planet. Like, they seem like they've been sandblasted and and scorched by the sun. Uh, So I think that's pretty cool. Um, Ashes, how about you? What's one of your favorites? So I really love the style and the color of these specific set of of armor. It's the Sith Trooper, or sometimes called the Final Order Trooper, from the most recent Star Wars film. I love the design so much. It's very sleek. And very, like, eye-catching, especially the color, that nice, bright, like, rich red color. Like the deep blood red. Yeah. With the black. Yeah, it's just, it's very striking in appearance. And then they had the different varietals, like the different types of, of the armor, depending on who you were and what you were doing. I like the grooves on them. So some of them had, like, the extra shoulder pieces yeah. i don't know indicating exactly higher what you, higher rank what you know yeah. what you would call them but in the, it's almost like they it provided a little extra protection too to like the shoulder area like you could maybe block something or uh put a gun up against your shoulder like kind of brace a larger caliber weapon and some of them kind of slightly varied in helmetry mm-hmm. but they were just they were so cool looking and it was very like i said very sleek looking on screen too i thought you, it was very fashionable you bought the black series i figure. did bought the i i bought the black series cuz i liked it so much yeah and like that it's it's odd for her to buy a star wars figure for herself like this is a weird thing and you know this is who she picked is the the red Sith trooper, or I call them the First Order trooper because I didn't remember that they were called Sith troopers. Well, they're ah, they're not First Order troopers. Though. Final, like order, final, final order, final order. I keep right, calling because them first. first order is what Finn was in yeah, the beginning. Yeah, and I, I'm used to Which First is a Order. Slightly different, you know, obviously different color and slightly different design. Yeah, they're as white. The final and Order Sith trooper. Final ones. orders are 
red. Like they were all red. Like everything was red and black as opposed to black mm-hmm. and white, which I kind of But I just, liked. I really love red and black, like the color combination. I think it's just so, it's so chic. It looks really good, especially like with this, in this particular, like, I mean, they, they look very plastic, but I mean, that's what they're kind of supposed to because it's supposed to be like, um, not durasteel, plasteel. I think is the name of the the um plasticine. Yeah, plasteel. <laughs> it's plastic plasteel, yeah. steel, like like it's light like plastic, but durable like steel. Uh, if you've played the um, Knights of the Old Republic games, you've seen a lot of the the plasteel cylinders. And then there's durasteel, so obviously that's stronger than regular steel. So, for my second uh, entry on this, I'm actually going to go back to. Rogue One again, and the Death Troopers, the black, like, intimidating with, like, the longer, for lack of a better term, snouts on the, uh, on the helmets, like, the longer, uh, the elongated, like, jaw and face, um, you know, section of the helmet, like, just the, like, the ones that you see at the very beginning with, um, Ben Mendelsohn's character, and his name is totally escaping me. Uh, um, it's not Scarif. Jesus, what is his name? Oh, I can't believe I'm blanking on this. And somebody, people listening to this are probably like yelling at me right now. And it's like on the tip of my tongue, and I just can't. I can, I can hear remember. them. Remember? I can hear them. Yeah, I just can't remember what it is. I'm gonna have to look it up as we're talking. But like the the way that this black armor looked. Like it, it almost looked like these were not humans in the, uh, in the, um, <clears throat> in the armor because of the like how long and lanky they were. Like the arms were a little Krennic, Krennic, Orson Krennic. Um, like the arms were a little longer. Like they were a little taller. It was almost as if like they. It wasn't quite as exaggerated as K two S O. Okay. But like they still they were a lot bigger. So I don't know if they were human or they were like maybe like bigger like taller or like taller muscular. with longer arms like uh it's I almost just almost like a like a Doug Jones like creature. Kind of, but like very humanoid but just like taller with longer arms like just just enough to like kind of make you look twice and be like that's a little weird. So that's that's my number two. What's what do you? So my number two is classic. It's iconic. It's Darth Vader. That was going to be my number one. So now I got to pick somebody else. No, no, no. I I I won't say anything then. I'll just say it's Darth Vader. No, no. You can. You I can't. I well. I don't want right to elaborate ahead. and steal your thunder. Well, I'm going to elaborate more on what you say because okay. I know a lot more about the armor and. Holy well, I do. Hell. I'm a bigger <laughs> Star Wars nerd. Nerd. Yeah. Um. I just, there's something about the black on black with the red lightsaber. Again, very eye-catching. And the silver nose. Yeah, and a little, like, yeah, and, and the the chest. Control panel. Plate, yes, that's what it's called, the control panel. It's just so freaking cool looking. And obviously it's, uh inspires Kylo Ren's getup. Oh, yeah. That I, I absolutely love. I think that's that's another one that's just so, like, it, soon to be iconic if it's not already. Um, 
Well, he was just more just... like a helmet. He didn't really have armor. Well, I mean, yeah, no, that's true. He was more like cloths and capes. He he's a fan of a good cape. Yes, well, which I mean, I mean it swishes around when you're when you're doing acrobatic moves, and it just looks way cooler on camera. It does it does? But but yeah, there's just something about. I mean, obviously, Darth Vader's getup was also really practical for him, and so menacing. Yeah, so to kind of elaborate where you're saying, like, mm-hmm. it was practical. So when Anakin Skywalker became Darth Vader, you know, he was very, very powerful. Um, but after his duel with Obi-Wan on Mustafar, uh, losing most of his organic material, uh, it impacted his connection to the Force. So... Because the Emperor knew that Vader, at his full potential, would be way more powerful than him. Like, the only thing that stopped that from happening is, A, the fact that he lost, you know, 40-50% of his his body and, like, you know, what didn't get cut off was severely burned. So he was in a state of constant pain. And Palpatine made sure that this was not like the highest end technology that he was putting uh, to encapsulate Vader. He was in constant pain. He couldn't sleep for more than an hour. Like he basically held himself together with the force. He was just uh, like, we get to see a little bit of it in again, rogue one when he's in the back to tank which is, you know, back to is the same thing that Luke was in when he got his arm cut off. Like, that's what heals them. It's kind of like, you know, a magical elixir that just saves everybody. Um, but when he's in his, like, hyperbaric chamber and we see, like, the helmet come down on his head and we see how, like, scarred and beat up he is in, uh, in Empire, um, that the suit... Like all the time, like every now and then, like it wouldn't be, like it, it would, they would short out electrically. Like he found it like super difficult to breathe. Like he had to really force. Is that like where the? Yeah, like why he sounds asthmatic is because like his lungs were scarred, and like he wasn't healed in any way. They were just like kind of slapped him into this suit. Like and you see it at the oh, end of Revenge go, of the Sith. Have a good time. Like he wasn't sedated; they were just like cramming parts onto him. Like he had no arms and no legs because the only uh, he had his right arm left after he got uh, chopped up by Obi Wan, but he had already lost his right arm in the duel with Count Dooku in Attack of the Clones. So he had no natural arms, no legs. So he was, was his name Bob. No. His name was... Uh, Stu. Phil. Because he was in a hole. He was <laughs> Phil. Um, and, like, he was holding himself together and keeping him... Like, the pain would drive him insane. And, like, he would go and he would make upgrades to himself. But it wasn't like he could just sit there and, like, tinker with this thing. Because it's his life support system. Like, if he took his helmet off, he would die. Which is what happens which is what happens at the end of um return of the jedi but he was already like 
his suit got destroyed with the force lightning. So it was, it wasn't working anymore anyways. But yeah, like, so when you take all of that into consideration. Okay. So there was a lot more there than I knew. Right. But I'm just saying, like, you so take all of this. Maybe it wasn't so practical for him. You take all this into consideration. It still looked cool. And still see what he does as far as, like, combat goes. Like, that final scene in Rogue One. Was amazing. And it, it does highlight how he can't, like, he's not, like, waving his arms up over his head and doing all, like, he's it's barely moving his arms Very back short, and, like, yeah. staccato movements. Because he doesn't have the range of motion. But it was so effective. Because he made the best. Like, he would tinker, because he's obviously, you know, he built C-3PO when he was a fucking seven. Like, he's good with electronics, so he would, like, kind of fix things here and there. Like he would, uh, he would get damaged a lot, so he would like try to repair himself when he had the chance. But like, yeah, it was part of Palpatine's plan to keep him from reaching his full potential. Like, because if Vader had his way, or if you know uh, Palpatine, you know, wasn't so terrified like all Sith of being replaced by his apprentice, then he would have given him like a top of the line suit, like. This would be like, you know, giving him, you know, a, a BlackBerry for a cell phone at this point. Yeah. Fucking Palpatine, man. Yeah, he was a dick. He was a dick. And, you know, his most powerful weapon was the one thing that always fucked him up. His force lightning every goddamn time. So that's enough about Vader. Who is your uh, your your last pick? Captain Phasma. Yeah. Like, again, stylistically, so incredibly chic. I, it's the most eye-catching armor, in my opinion, that's of the entire Star Wars universe. Oh, yeah. It's, it's With the bright chrome and shiny. And, you know, the overall design of it. It's just, and, and the fact that, I mean... I have a love-hate relationship with Captain Phasma as a character because I love the character so much and I hate that they did her so dirty. Ryan like, there's so much potential there. I love Gwendolyn Christie. I love everything that this character had to offer in the beginning. There was so much potential there. And then it was just all, it was just all wasted. So I hate that I love this character so much because it just, it, it broke my heart. But... I mean, despite it all, she looks so fucking good doing it. Did you research what her armor is made of? I know. It is made Because from... I found out about the getting into character question like two seconds before we started yeah. recording. Because I skipped rehearsal. Well, you kept saying that you like this character. I, I don't know if you, if you looked into it. Like, well, we haven't we have, covered this character. We have. Yes, we have. We have? Yeah. When? We, when we did the Captain Phasma and... Brienne of Tarth shows back to back. That I believe I was sick for. Oh, it was a while ago. Yeah. We do have the book that you have to check out, but we so. also have the audio book. Um, it is made from a Naboo starfighter, very similar to the one that uh, Obi-Wan and, and Qui-Gon and everybody travels on at the beginning of um, Phantom Menace. Like the shiny, mm-hmm. like, it's really cool. I am going to... It seems really resilient. Yeah, it can take a lot of damage. Until it wasn't. Yeah, it it but, can take damage. Like, it shouldn't have been cracked open by... Oh, that was a significant explosion. 
But anyways, it seems really resistant and powerful. Not not only does it make her look powerful, which she is, mm-hmm. but it kind of enhances that and, yeah. you know, really sets her apart from all of the other stormtroopers and first order troopers and whatever other fucking troopers there that are there. Shock troopers, flying troopers, Koopa you know, troopers. She is the only one like that who has that specific armor. Yes. And, and it's, it's unique to her. You yeah. know, and, and to our knowledge, you know, that's it. She's the only one who's ever had armor mm-hmm. like this. So it's just the, the fact that it's so special like that. Um, and, and just so it's very attractive. It's very attractive looking armor. Like, I would love to cosplay that at some point because oh, yeah. that would be incredible. You like, just wrap yourself in tinfoil and be like, look at me, I'm <laughs> Captain Phasma. I'm Captain Phasma. Pew, pew, pew. <laughs> I do have an honorable mention, and I can't really call it armor so much um, because it's not protecting a person. Uh, basically, it's just protecting a series of organs. I mean, it has survived, you know, ridiculous amounts of damage. You know, uh, firepower from, you know, starships have hit this thing directly and didn't damage it. Um, but I'm talking about General Grievous's armor, um, where he kind of, like, had his brain and lungs and heart kind of just, like, suspended in goop inside, you know, this, you know, protective chassis and, like, his brain, you know, kind of protected by the, the weird helmetry, which is... You know the helmet is based on his homeworld, like the the traditional masks that they would wear. Um, that's a character we should cover at some point. But um, he's got just like a, a really cool armor set. You know, especially where you know I know he's a robot, but like he's still got human guts to him, and like that armor is protecting it, and it's super durable armor. So if you have a specific armor that you like, you know maybe you like. Dinjarins, maybe you like Boba Fett, maybe you like the classic Stormtrooper. Let us know. Throw down Thursday Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, let us know what your favorite armor is. Or you can hit us up on Facebook, all that good stuff. I mean, that's the thing about Star Wars, though, is they have so many great looking characters. And there's no and so wrong many answer. great looking like armor ar- ar- armor, armory. Ar- what's the what's the plural to armor? Armors. Armor. Armor. It's one of those, like, deer. Or moose. Moose. (laughs) That's a fun word. Moose. But, uh, yeah, so let us know what your your favorites are. And uh, we'll take a quick break. And when we come back, we are going to be talking about the Mandalorian and his little little green green friend. Baby Babushka. Mittens. It's not mittens. We'll be right back. Deadly Grounds Coffee knows how important your coffee is to you. Every batch is roasted to perfection with a unique special method that brings out the richest, deepest, smoothest flavor you'll ever find. We're coffee freaks too, and deadly serious about our brew. Just one sip and you'll know why we say, once you go deadly, you don't go back. It's truly coffee to die for. So when you're ready to get a little deadly, Get online and order yours at getdeadly.com. It's coffee so good, it's scary. 
Shark Bites, Shark Bites Podcast. It's the greatest show in history. From the Dorkening Network, hosted by a nerd whose name Patsy. From movie reviews to tips on surviving the coronavirus, Shark Bites has it all. Follow us on Facebook and suggest topics at sharkbitespod at gmail.com. Available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Hi, this is Dominic Pace, who played the bounty hunter Gecko from The Mandalorian, and you are listening to the Throwdown Thursday podcast. from the original soundtrack it is called Hey Mando. Um I really like the fact that it like it's you know the 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 theme that we're used to and then it kind of stops and then it just it's really into the, like the heavier stuff. Ah. So good. All I can think of though is if you've ever watched Bob's Burgers and you watch the uh the spaghetti western episode with Banjo Banjo. Yeah, well I all I can I have stuck in my head now is that but Mando Mando. <laughs> well, Mando. Well, there's a reason for that because the Mandalorian is essentially it's a, a spaghetti West. western. Yeah, it's a space western. Yeah, space getty. Space getty. <laughs> it's a space getty western. That's what we. Ooh, that's what we're doing on this. And uh, so, makes me want Olive Garden real bad. Uh, well, I mean, he did get adopted by the Mandalorians after his parents passed away. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's your fault for saying that. Uh, um, I have to live with that. No, you get to. So, we are introduced to The Mandalorian It's in this eight-episode uh, series. Not enough episodes, but each episode was pretty brilliantly done. The thing that really did this series huge favors was getting people who could just do what they wanted without interference from the studio without mm-hmm. Disney breathing down their necks saying okay you have to do this make sure that these are you know that these these things are toys that we can use make sure that these things are um which know, is marketable. why I feel like no I I enjoy most of the most recent trilogy have lukewarm feelings feelings about the the trilogy, the prequel tr- trilogy, but absolutely love the original trilogy. Well, the original trilogy was all about toys too. But, but there was a feeling, a, a feel to it right. that the Mandalorian has that the other trilogies didn't. You could tell that it wasn't like they didn't shove porgs in your fucking face or little cute droids. Just to be like the pork serves zero purpose whatsoever. I mean, I own. I know some. you do, but <laughs> plot wise, 
Like everyone, you know, obviously we're going to talk about this, but everyone goes nuts over the child. You know, what everyone refers to as baby Yoda. Yeah, you make that noise every time you see him. So much. Every, but he's integral to the plot. Like he's not just there so people will buy toys. Well, and not only that. So one of the things I love about the marketing that they did for the show was they allowed, you know, we knew of some of the characters. We were introduced to some of the characters beforehand via toys and yes. promotions. But we had no fucking clue about the child. Right. and this No clue until we watched the first episode. This show did something that I had not dealt with in a Star Wars film ever. After the first episode... When they fade out and they show, like, who the target is. Like, it's 50 years old, you know, like, this is where they are. And they find it, and he opens up the goddamn thing, and it's a little baby Yoda. Do you remember how I react? I shoved myself away from my desk so my jaw could hit the floor. Because there have been exactly two of those. Like, there was so much speculation as to... Who it could possibly be, this 50 year old uh, character, and somebody like, well, who the hell is it? And what's funny, if you listen to our episode with Dominic, uh, who you just heard the promo from, if you listen to our episode with him a while back, he didn't know that this was a 50 year old, he just knew it as the child. Right, but he, yeah, he had no idea what it was. He was trying to guess, was it, because this takes place five years after Return of the Jedi. Because he was thinking it was, you know, maybe it was Rey, maybe it was Kylo, maybe maybe it was, was, you know, someone else integral to the the trilogy plot. Right, because this would take place five years years after Return of the Jedi, so 15 years before uh, Episode 7, Force Awakens. So... Whoever it was, it's a baby. You're like, okay, you're like, they've got to be integral to this plot. But we have no clue what's going to happen with, with this child here. Because you know, no one's ever seen him. And what they did was they waited until after the first episode had aired to give the go-ahead on the manufacturing of these toys. So when... Uh, Toy companies like Funko or, you know, whoever, Mattel, Hasbro, what have you, they didn't have the blueprints for any of these, the child merchandise. And everyone was kept in the dark. And Disney has actually been criticized for this because they're like, you know, you could have made how many millions, billions of dollars. Because Disney needs more money. Right. I mean, there's that. But they stand by what they did because the fans appreciated it. And you know whose idea it was? John Favreau. Donald Glover. Donald Glover? Donald Glover talked John Favreau into keeping the child a secret. And Donald Glover, as we know, no stranger to Star Wars, having played young Lando Calrissian, one of the best fucking castings that mm. they've ever done. No, that's true. Uh, he definitely fucked that robot. <laughs> yeah, yes, um, he did. And he liked it. But we get to see, you know, the Mandalorian who's like, okay, I always get my job. You know, we meet him in the first episode and he is uh, 
put in a crazy situation that he's able to get out of. We see how good he is. He's got everybody uh, in carbonite. You know, he's got like six or seven well, bounties in carbonite. You can tell, you know, he's experienced. So not only as a bounty hunter, but clearly he's been doing this Mandalorian thing for a while. He abides by the Mandalorian creed. He identifies yep. as a Mandalorian. However, at this point, Mandalorian are few and far between. They're living underground. They're hidden because... This was after the fall of the Galactic Empire. Yes, because this takes, again, this takes place right. five years after... So in the order to kind of preserve who they are, you know, this moral code that they have and, and everything that goes along with being a Mandalorian, because it's not a race, it's a creed. Right. It's, you You could be, you know... Because most Mandalorians are, are human or human-esque. Human or humanoid, but you could be, you know, uh, an Athorian. I mean, that would that would be a really weird helmet. But you could be an Athorian, or you could be a Rodian, or you could be... Uh, well, and a... I think we're going towards the path of, of little green baby oh, babushka going to be a Mandalorian. He is a Mandalorian. Like, he has, you know, we'll get, we'll get to that, you know, when we get to the whole Mudhorn thing. But we'll get to that. Um, so we meet the Mandalorian, and he's exchanging all these, you know, they call them bounty pucks for money. Mm-hmm. But, like, the money that he's getting, it's um, Mon Calamari money. Uh, if you're unfamiliar, Mon Calamari, uh, Admiral Akbar, the squid-looking dude, uh, the fish-looking guy. Yeah. He is, yeah, because not the, not the squid-looking guy, because there's a squid-looking guy at the beginning of... The d- different squid guy. Yeah, the, he has, like, tentacles on his face, like Cthulhu-looking guy. Mm-hmm. He is a Quarren. That's a different race from the Mon Calamari. Um the Mon Calamari are the fish people. Just, you know, it throws me off because Calamari is squid. Um, and we get to see how good he is, and we get to see the thing that I like about the about him the best is that he's not perfect and infallible. He's not like, you know, when we see the Jedi fight, they're just like, you know, surrounded by hundreds of droids or clones or whoever is shooting at them and I mean, just effortlessly blocking he everything. He gets his ass kicked oh, several times. Oh, he gets times. smoked a few times. He almost dies. And that's like we're getting to the point. Um, so he he finds a child and he uh, shoots another bounty hunting droid to keep from killing the child because he himself is an orphan, which we see a little a bit in foundling. flashback. foundling. Yes. He is a foundling. Because uh, we see a little bit of that in flashbacks. And that's one of the things I love about this, too, is the way that it tells the story. It doesn't hit you over the head with exposition. It doesn't give you all of this backstory to start out with. It kind of gives you it in snippets, a little bit here, a little bit there, you know, along with the, you know, folded in with the rest of the story. Right. So it keeps you it's the nonlinear really, storytelling. Right. It, it keeps you intrigued. It keeps you, you know, at the edge of your seat wanting to know, A, where is the story going? But B, who is this guy? Where is he from? You know, and we, we do know a bit more about his backstory towards the end of the series. But, it but we takes, still don't know a lot about it. Right. We still don't know a lot. So, I mean, we know that as a child, he was caught in the crossfire of an attack, attack by a separatist battle droid. Separatist. Separatist? Yes, because they were separating. Goddamn Star Wars and their weird things, words. The separatists were the uh, the Trade Federation guys, the weird 
racist Muppets from the first <laughs> trilogy. Yeah, and this was at some point during the fall of the Republic. While the droid slaughtered the people of his hometown, his mother and father hid him under a hatch before being killed in an explosion themselves shortly after. The hatch was then opened by a B-2 super battle droid, which attempted to fire on the child. Before it could, however, the battle droid was destroyed by a Mandalorian warrior of the Death Watch. Death Watch is, if you, I'm not overly familiar with them because I haven't watched all of the Clone Wars series, but apparently they play a huge role in the in the Clone Wars, um, which takes obviously takes place long before this because the Clone Wars take place probably it's probably. 35 years prior to this because you know again it's like you know when they talk about you know this is the bounty for you it's super difficult you know very much an inconvenience um like we don't have any tracking information like you know with typical bounties it's like we have all this information here's where they are here's how old they are here's the race the species everything they have all this information. Yeah, they didn't have any of that information. Except the age. And the person, so the person who placed the bounty. The client. The client, yes. I knew there was like a specific name yeah, for they, it. Yeah, that's what they call them. Um, wanted to see the bounty hunter in person before. Get the measure of him. Make sure Right, make sure that this was the perfect person to go out and do, pretty much do well, what Well, he bidding. specifically wanted the Mandalorian because he had. Beskar. Because bounty hunting is a complicated profession. Bounty hunting is a complicated profession. Um, yes. And fun fact about uh, Werner Herzog in this role. Um, he was obsessed with the child. Yes. and we like, have, I have something in common with Werner Herzog. So many times. Be jealous. Like they would, they would do um, they would do the puppet. They would film the puppet. And then they would film the plate, the stand-in for him so they could do CGI. And finally, Herzog called uh, Favreau and, and Dave Filoni, who does a fucking incredible job with Star Wars, uh, called them cowards and told them to stick with the puppet. <laughs> well, I mean, so the animatronic that is Baby Yoda, the child, the asset, whatever you want to call him, little green baby babushka, it's like a Mittens. $5 million puppet. Like animatronic puppet. It's not. Yeah. It, it's because I mean it can do everything. Yeah, like everything that you see—the walking, the touching, the every little tiny movement, the, all the eyes facial, widening, yeah, all the facial, know, the, little, uh, the the ears wiggling back and forth. Like it does everything. So yeah, this puppet was five million dollars, and apparently Werner Herzog was so taken aback by his interactions with the child that he cried. Like, it made him cry because he felt like a connection to it because, you know, even though it's not a real thing, it was so lifelike. Yes, it looked real. It acts real. Like, it's tough to tell when it's CGI and when it's a puppet because... Very little CGI is put into, you know, producing the child. And that's the thing, well, with the whole series. And that's the thing with Filoni and Favreau. Like, they are real fans like you know we see you know we don't see a lot of fan service from this series it's not like oh hey he's walking down the street and there's greedo or well because this is a story that we don't know right but i'm just saying like even rogue one was a story we didn't know but there was still a lot of shit thrown in there but there was like evazan and panda baba 
Who? Oh, Panda Baby? Evazon. Dr. Evazon and Panda Baba. He doesn't like you. I don't oh, like you either. I like that guy. Yeah, he, they bump into Cassian and, and uh, I almost called her Ray. Um, um, holy shit, what is her name? I was going to say Kip Duran, and that's not it. Jin. Jin. Uh, they bump into him as they're walking the streets of Jeddah. And like he's like, oh, watch me, watch your step or whatever, you know. And he's like, you just watch yourself, you know. And um, I'm just naturally this grumpy. But like, you know, they they threw some stuff in, like, you know, you saw a Kowakian lizard monkey roasting over a spit, which is great because Salacious Crumb is one of the worst fucking characters. He's so annoying. the The Kowakian lizard monkey is the little the little dude in Jabba's palace who was always like. Ah! Like the little weird puppet that looked like he belonged in the labyrinth. I I know who. I'm letting the audience know in case they're unfamiliar with a Kowakian monkey lizard. Like, not many people know that that's of what course that thing that's is. what it's called. Um, but the gun that the rifle that Mando uses is based on Boba Fett's gun from. The Star Wars holiday special that like Disney has disowned and is not on Lumpy. Yeah, it is not on Disney Plus. You cannot find it. I have it, but you cannot find it. Um, I feel like we need to make that a uh, a tradition in this household. Yeah, watch the. Uh, the I didn't it's realize been a while I had since, it since we watched the Star Wars holiday special. I, we haven't. Well, we've seen it. I don't recall seeing it. To be completely honest, I don't recall. We watched seen... it at one of Dynamo Mars' Di- right. Christmas parties. But we parties. didn't watch the whole thing. And, and like, I've actually seen the whole thing in its I entirety before. I have it. It came as a bonus disc with my despecialized trilogy that I watched on May 4th. Because uh, I have, it's essentially the the VHS put onto Blu-rays. And it's phenomenal because there's no McClunky. I didn't watch the McClunky edition. McClunky. But, like, there's so much attention to detail because these guys are fans. And Dave Filoni, like, Dave Filoni has forgotten more about Star Wars than most people will ever know. Like, this dude, like... So what you're saying is he's a casual fan. Yeah. And, like, I think he's been planning this forever because there's a scene in... And it's just, like, a throwaway background scene in Clone Wars. And you see the fire spray, which is the... uh, is that his? I might be confusing that with uh, the name of his ship, Razorcrest. Razorcrest. Fire spray is the type of ship that Slave One Boba Fett flies. That's like the the Slave One is the name of the ship, but it's a fire spray, and the, there's only one of them. Uh, the Razorcrest is the the ship that uh, Mando flies. I was getting those confused. But, you know, Filoni just put that in the back, you know, and the Clone Wars is one of the best things, you know, that uh, people rave about. It's like one of the few things that people aren't like, well, it was good, but, you know, this shouldn't have happened or that shouldn't have happened. Like, you know, we started watching it and even you enjoyed it. And you're like, holy shit, look at Yoda zipping around, like wrecking everybody. He's a a spry little green guy. Yeah. I mean, eight. 800 years old and he's just zipping around 
jumping up and down, having a good time. Um, yeah. These guys have a passion for Star Wars. And what's interesting to me about this series is that they're able to introduce all these, you know, very distinct characters. You know, not just, you know, the Mandalorian. They just call him Mando for most of the uh, most of the series. Right, we don't really even find out that his name is Din Djarin until the end of the series. Right, it's like the seventh or eighth episode. Um, you know, and you know, obviously the child is like the the other main character, but like we see Quill, you know, Nick Nolte's character. We see uh, Carathena Dune, um, Gina Carano's character. We see you know all the other bounty hunters. On um, on that one episode. Well, there was a couple of episodes with the bounty hunters, but they really came to bat for him during the episode where uh, I think it was the third episode where they saved him. I'm not talking about the Mandalorians. Oh. I'm talking about the 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 episodes with with Bill Burr and that whole crew. Okay, his, his yes. old crew with the yes. Twi'leks. Well, and that's one of the things I love about, you know, the way they establish this character is they kind of bring back some of the other characters who have had past, you know, experiences with the Mandalorian. But, you know, he comes off initially as this very closed off, uh, just, you know. Stoic. Not, not, and not even stoic, but just he's, he goes solo. Like, he's independent. He's independent. You know, Solo, why did you say that name? <laughs> you know, he's a loner. He doesn't need anybody else. You know, he can do the job on his own. He I'm a strong, independent Mandalorian who don't need no man. <laughs> he can do things on his own. He doesn't need the help from anybody else until he does. When but, he does quite a bit. But he still has the ability to form friendships. And we kind of get more of his personality you know, with these friendships. And I think that, A, the casting of Pedro Pascal was brilliant for this role. You don't see him. You know he's in the suit. He's not even in the suit all the time. But but for a lot of some of the acting and stuff, he is. He is. Uh, a lot of times what they will do is they will, um, they will have the stunt double in the suit saying the lines. And then they dub it over with Pedro Pascal. Yeah, but he's still he. Oh no, he's in the, in the suit. suit quite a bit. But I'm just saying, like they. But do what that. I'm saying is, he's able to emote while wearing this full suit because right. one of the 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 part of the a part of the Mandalorian creed is that they don't remove their helmet in front of other non Mandalorians. Right, they could do it in front of Mandal other Mandalorians, or, or when they can alone. do it, you know, in the presence of their spouse. Yeah, because otherwise, how the hell would you they know, eat? Their their family, what have you. Right. Behind closed doors. Right. But they can't do it in front of anybody else. And the fact that he's able to emote in specific ways, like finding the child. That whole scene was just so brilliantly done. Like, the emotion from yeah, that scene. Yeah, because the mask doesn't change. You know, it's not like... You know, reading a comic book where you it's have all, like, it, yeah, it's it's not like the the mask has eyebrows that raise up and down, or so you even kind of, you know, like in um, you know, like with Batman's mask in comic books, or Deadpool's mask, or Spider Man's mask, where like you know the whites get bigger or smaller. Yeah, but those masks are different because they're kind of conformed to the the character's face, right? But I'm saying like in a comic this is book, a helmet, right? But I'm saying like in a comic book, like 
you have a a, a cloth pattern on uh you know they they've always done that with Spider-Man like his his eyes will get bigger and smaller despite the fact that it's a cloth pattern you know like sewn in like so they're able to do that because it's a comic book with him like it's it's subtle head nods or or tilting his head a certain way or you know slumping his shoulders or or standing back or just just different different things that he's able to do and he does it exceedingly well he also has the same birthday as me oh well yes, good so good good for the both of you i said happy birthday to him on twitter he didn't say it back he was probably busy oh maybe understandable maybe you know getting ready for mandalorian season 2 and hopefully 3 through 12 um <laughs> But we we get to see a lot of, um, and the the thing that I was trying to say earlier, and I totally got off track, which is weird for me. Never happens. Um, This is my shocked face. What we saw in the uh, most recent trilogy was a disjointed story because there were too many people trying to figure out how they wanted to do things what they wanted to do, which direction the story was going. You had two different directors, three at one point, but they got rid of Colin Trevorrow to bring back J.J. Abrams. Um, Even the original trilogy has three different directors. Like, Lucas only directed the first one. Really? He didn't direct the other two. I didn't know that. But the story was there, so it's it flowed... Like it was supposed to. I was say, like sometimes you can have different directors, but you need to have some cohesiveness in in the writing, and sometimes that involves having the same writers. And this, this is exactly what happens with like Robert Rodriguez directs an episode, Taika Waititi directs an episode, Bryce Dallas Howard directs an episode, um, um, Deborah, Deborah, oh my god, Deborah Chow, Deborah Chow directs an episode. Like, there, uh, Favreau directs an episode. I think Filoni does an episode. Like yeah. every, there's a bunch of different directors, but the story never feels like it's disjointed or jumping around, or well, they're I just doing because things everyone to was push on the, plot the same forward. page. It's like people got together, and it's like, okay, you know what? This is the story. This is what we're setting out to accomplish this season. We have eight episodes to do it. You know, because typically you know uh, when a when a series is greenlit, how many episodes you you're allotted. So I believe with the upcoming season uh, that we're going to get more episodes. I think we might have ten. That would be good. And I remember we we talked about this on Shark Bites because we we got to see uh, the one of the last episodes right before um, Rise of Skywalker came out. Like this last episode, uh, or this particular episode, dropped on a Wednesday. It normally dropped on a Friday, and we kept speculating: is it because they're going to show something that we've never seen before that's going to tie into the Rise of Skywalker, or is it just because they want everyone to watch everything? And it was a little of both. It, it, yes, because yes. they showed, but the. It, they did it right. They showed the force heal, and everyone's like, oh, no one's ever done that. Yeah, except like the first 15 minutes of New Hope when Ben heals Luke after he got his concussion with the gaffy stick. 
But it was, I think it was to kind of like remind people that, hey, this is a thing that some force users can, can do. Well, and we get to see a little bit of a preview of that because, you know, we see this child and he's essentially, he's 50 years old, but we know that Yoda's species lives eight, nine hundred years. And there's something, well, especially if the species has the force, it kind of extends. Well, the, it's kind of like having the ring. Yes. Kind of like being a ring bearer. Where Except if this you doesn't are destroy a ring bearer, you. No, it doesn't destroy you. It doesn't make you less morale. It, you know, but it does extend your life. Having the force kind of extends your life. The the force extends your life normally, like with but certain like, characters. What we know of Yoda's species is they live for a prolonged period of well, time. Well, there's only... Period. Even with the expanded stuff that's no longer canon, uh, this little guy makes five of them. They're all... At least four of them are light side users. We don't know about this dude yet. You know, it all depends on his upbringing. Uh, they're all, uh, they're all Which light Mando side users. Which Mando was already doing a really good job. But we get to see him in the first ep- uh, the first real episode, of the, which is episode two. Mando's hurt because they were in a huge battle. And he gets out of his little hover bucket and... Goes to and he's like reaching out. Well, that's not even the the, the thing though. Is that the episode where he lifts? No, we haven't gotten to that. Oh, yet. We haven't gotten to that. Okay. The second episode, we see him because we're like, can he use the force? Oh my god, can this can this little dude use the force? Like, and if he can, how powerful is he? And how did he learn it? Like, is it just inherent in this species? Because we we know nothing about Yoda's species. Like George Lucas specifically made it a secret, like the whole time, like. He wanted no one to know anything about Yoda species. So we see little dude like reaching up his little tridactyl hand. He's like, I'm going to heal you. And Mando just like picks him up and puts him back in his little. Right, because he doesn't know. He doesn't stroller. know that this little. His hover stroller. This little tyke is trying to heal him. He just thinks that, you know, he it's. He's not familiar with the force. Well, not only that, that's in the beginning. And in the beginning. You know, he kind of feels an attachment, like this slight attachment to this foundling. But ultimately, he this doesn't is want his to bounty. see him dead. Right. Like, ultimately, like, this is my job. This is my bounty. I'm going to be handsomely rewarded for this. So I'm going to take good care of him because I don't I don't want to see anything happen to him. But I also want I don't want to hurt a child. Right, right. You know, so, I mean, like, in the beginning, it was just kind of like, okay, let me just make sure I can transport this kid from point A to point B safely. But then over the episodes, you really see this bond start to happen. Especially in the following episode, where the Jawas strip his ship, and he has to go get an egg for them. But the egg is guarded by this huge, huge beast called a mudhorn. And the mudhorn... It's like fighting a rhinoceros. Like, this thing pummeled the shit out of him. Knocked him around, flipped him, threw him. Would have killed him. Uh, and he uh, used the, the remote control on his wrist gauntlet to control the hover stroller and push the baby out of the way. And we see him getting ready. You know, he's preparing himself for a warrior's death. And he has a knife and 
the mud horn is charging at him, and all of a sudden it kind of like stops and like starts skidding and starts lifting off the ground. I lost my fucking mind. Starts lifting off the ground, and we see the child. He looks over at the child, and the child has got his eyes closed, and he's got his hand up in the air, and he's clearly using the force, and he's using it to stop this massive fucking charging animal because he's viewed... Uh, because several bounty hunters have tried to come after him and mm-hmm. take his bounty because this is a rich bounty. Like Beskar, like you could sell a piece of Beskar and buy a fucking fleet of ships. It's so rare. Uh, I liken it to um, Valyrian steel in Game okay. of Thrones. It's so rare and it's so valuable. And like only a few people know how to kind of work with it. And... The only people who know how to work with it are specific Mandalorian quartermasters, like weapons forgers. Um, so we get to see him. He brings the he brings the child, and he gets paid. And the child kind of like has this look of betrayal, like how could you? Like you were like my you were supposed to be. You my saved friend. me all these times, only to just hand me over to this asshole. And I kind of called that. I'm like, he's going to go. He's going to get his Beskar armor. And he's going to go back and be like, hey, I fulfilled my side of the deal. Now I have the Beskar. I'm taking the kid back. Like, stop me if you can, but I'm taking the kid back. Mm -hmm. So he went and one of the Mandalorian rites of passage is earning a signet, a a, a sigil, a logo. Um, For the Mandalorian creed, it is the skull of a mythosaur. Uh, but then you have, you know, the different tribes and the, you know, the different tribes have their own, their own flags or their own uh, sigils, uh, kind of like, again, Game of Thrones, because that's easy for everybody to, to relate to, you know, how Stark had the, the dire wolf. And then, you know, the Lannisters had the lions and the Baratheons had the stags, but then Stannis took a stag with a flaming heart crown and, you know, Jon Snow was the white wolf and, Rob Stark was the young wolf. So it's like subcategories to, it's like, I'm part of this clan, but you know, like in the warriors, like they're all part of the warriors, but they all have their own personality. Like that's cowboy, that's vermin, Mm -hmm. you know, because they have their own particular quirks. So he wanted, he's like, well, I took down a mud horn, but I had help from an enemy who didn't know that they were an enemy. So I haven't earned I haven't earned my my signet yet. So she does make him armor because he has earned the armor by completing bounties, doing his job. And he goes back and just wrecks shit, saves the kid. And then like they go on all kinds of adventures because now and this is the scene that we were talking about with Dominic Pace, all the bounty hunters and we get to see Dominic's gecko standing just to the left of uh, Carl Weathers' grief carga in this standoff scene. And Dominic had mentioned that he had no idea. Because obviously, they're not filming this scene with the $5 million puppet. We just It's basically like a football wrapped in a cloak at this point. Mm-hmm. Because there's a lot of jumping and crashing and running and explosions. It's a huge action scene. And all the Mandalorians come out to back him up because they've been staying... I think they're on Tatooine. No, they end up going to Tatooine. I, I forget. I, we have to rewatch the series, but it's another one of the desert planets. There's so many of them. Um, 
and like they really they they save him because like he's part of this clan um another great scene is when he's with the quartermaster he gets into a fight with uh the character is voiced by John Favreau, but it's not John Favreau in the armor. Although if it was me, I'd have put myself in the fucking armor. I would, <laughs> if I'm running a Star Wars show, like I'm either going to have a lightsaber or I'm going to put myself in armor. Absolutely. Um, but their their knives that they had looked really weird. It's because those were vibro blades, which uh, they never really reference in any of the films. But they do talk about a lot, again, in the expanded universe, Knights of the Old Republic. Like, that's a weapon you can get. It's uh, uh, It does more damage because the blade itself is unstable and moves back and forth. and vibrates, which is kind of crazy. But then we go forward in these episodes where it's like a, it's like a buddy film, almost like Hawk and Chick. Uh. Hawk and Chick is the made-up show from Bob's Burgers. Oh, no, Burgers. that's Bob's Burgers. It's um, oh, Lone Wolf and Cub. Lone Wolf and Cub. <laughs> so, same. <laughs> it's a parody of a parody of a thing. Um, but I, <laughs> Hawk and Chick. Hawk and Chick. Well, one thing I love about the Mandalorian character before I just completely go off on... on Tate the, Fletcher is the guy who played that. Big, Baby Babushka. Big Mandalorian. Is he has to earn everything. It's not given to him. Like he still abides by this. So and even when most of the Mandalorian are killed off. They're not killed off. They leave. Well, they, yeah, but, but some of them do. Some of them, yeah, some of them die because they bring in all the stormtroopers. Um but he he has to earn everything. So he had to earn, you know, the Beskar and then had to earn the armor. And then eventually he earns a signet for his his armor. And he has to earn his backpack with the jets. Uh, the rising. No, he doesn't. She gives it to him because they have to escape. And like, but again, the, but but I mean, like he he's the told, rising phoenix. He's told. um early on in the series that it's something that he has to earn. And he mentions that. Yes. And it's definitely, it's 100% a callback to uh, Iron Man because it's, you know, Favreau and Favreau directed, uh, I think the first two Iron Man films, you know, and like, you know, he's flying by as uh, Mando escapes with the child and he looks out the window and he kind of like, you know. Salutes him. Yeah, kind of like. See you later, buddy. And he's like, I gotta get me one of those. Why does he sound like you're Batman? Because that's, you know. I'm not wearing hockey pants. I'm not wearing, I don't know, gaffy sticks. What? Gaffy sticks are the weapons that the Tusken Raiders use. Oh, okay. Sure. I'm gonna go check out the Jizz Whalers. Jizz Whalers, for those of you who are unfamiliar, that is the name of the Cantina band. The uh, the Bith, that's the species they are. But, like, the guys that are, like, you know, play that same song in the Cantina band, you know. Play that same song. Yeah, they're called Jizz Whalers. And the music they play is called Jizz. I'm not making this up. That's what Lucas said. So, 
Send your angry letters to, to George. So we get to see this 50-year-old child. Baby. He is... A baby. He is definitely adorable. I'll give you that. You liked him because he is... Like we had very similar reactions to seeing him for the first time, but for very no, different reasons. Our reactions were not. You were like, ee! like that super high pitched thing that oh, you do. Oh, oh, you mean the? Ee! Yeah, and the, you're freaking the cat out. <laughs> um, <laughs> and poor kitty. I was just like, holy shit, another one of Yoda's species. Holy shit, he's using the force. And he uses the force baby. a few times. Well, it takes him a bit to get going because. Man, Mando doesn't know what he's trying to do. He thinks that he's just this precocious little scamp who's very curious and, and even wants he to isn't, check things out. And he's not sure what he's seeing. He describes it to Quill. Uh, yeah, and, and Quill knows. Quill's like, yeah, it kind of sounds like he's using the Force, but like, I don't know, it's weird. And then he eats the frog. And then he eats the frog. Well, I think was that was CGI. The frog. Well, the, yeah, I mean, obviously the frog was CGI. No, no, no. Like he was a real frog. No, no, him jumping and like that whole scene. And then his little ears wiggled and he was so happy because he ate the frog. Yoda does we eat some weird stuff in, uh, in Return uh, Empire. But what's really funny is when they are at that um, village and he's playing with children quote his own age yeah. i mean obviously they're not his own age but i mean he but looks he's about a he, foot and a half tall he's he's like a toddler he's a baby he's probably equivalent to maybe two years old to maybe because he maybe doesn't two and speak a half. maybe two and a half yeah you know but he was playing with some children and he's still you know granted being 50 years old in human years that's a lot but in yoda years that's not so you know he's still a child and he was playing and he saw a frog and he went to eat it and all the kids were like ew so he, he spit the out. frog back out yeah. Because he's a good little doozer. And, like, we see his curiosity and his playfulness where he's, like, touching Trying all the... Trying to get the, the ball. The li- yeah, the, the little, little knob. The little silver knob on, on his, top of the, the thing. Like and the Mando's like, no, don't touch that. And he takes it from him and puts it back. Or when he's, like, like touching the all the buttons and he's like, don't touch, touch anything. Touch, touch. And he looks right over at Mando and, like, and as he's looking it. at him, flips the switch. Or when he tries flying. Yes. When yes. Mando is down in the in the cargo hold With, talking to Cara Dune, yep. and all of a sudden everything starts shaking, and he's like sitting in the in the driver's seat, like wee. <laughs> but it's uh it's enough to kind of give you a break for some of the serious seriousness of the show, but it also really helps uh, establish this father son dynamic that grows between. Little green baby babushka and Mando. And, you know, he ends up giving him the signet. And that's when we see more of, like, the flashbacks to Mando's childhood and stuff as well. We know he's a foundling, so now he has this connection to... It's almost like they've imprinted on each other. Yeah, because we see the battle droids and we see the explosions, but we don't see the Mandalorians pull him out of there until... Because we see, like... The thing open up and the battle droid point his hand because it has guns on its hand at him. And then we don't know what happens next. It's like, obviously, someone saves him. I wonder who saves him because that's like episode one or two. Uh, and then because the first time he has that flashback is with the armorer, Emily Swallow. Mm-hmm. 
and we see later on um, the rest of that scene. So it's almost like this is his way to pay it forward. You know, I was a foundling. Somebody took me in. They saved me. They gave me this life that I have have now, which, you know, is a pretty good life for the most part. I think he wants to be able to do the same, you know, which is why he went back for the child and has continued to, you know, save the child and... You know, and the child saved him. Well, right. It's 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 a it's a mutual thing at this point. It's symbiotic. Well, no, I mean he, Mandalorians are very honor bound, and, you know, he couldn't just take the child and run off. He did exactly what he said he was going to do. I brought you the child. Mm-hmm. You paid me. You started running your experiments on him. Like he did everything he said he was going to do. I will say another thing that kind of separates this from other Disney properties, and I had this conversation with um, on this week's Shark Bites, and I also had it last week on the Dorkening because we did uh, a retrospective on the one-year-ish anniversary of Endgame. And what a lot of the Marvel movies and even now the Star Wars films tend to do is they try to undercut serious moments with jokes that feel out of place. So, uh, after rewatching that movie, Endgame, um, I decided, you know, and I talked about this, like I said, that the most emotional part of the entire film was when Thor is in Asgard with Rocket, and he's talking to his mother, and right before they, you know, quantum leap home, he holds his hand out, and the hammer comes to him, because he has spent the entire movie weighing with the with the weight of the failure of to stop Thanos on him. You know, because he had the chance and instead of cutting his head off, he, you know, rammed the axe into his chest and Thanos snapped his fingers right in front of his face. So like he was the last one. He had the chance to do it and like you see this way on him and you know obviously it affects him mentally and physically, and he spends the whole movie like depressed and sad and in in a drunken stupor and feeling like he's worthless. But then he finds out that he's worthy, and it's this huge moment because it's like, no, like I'm still good, I'm still worthy. You know, it's not my fault. You know, we failed as a team. You know, like all this isn't on him. It wasn't up to him only to stop Thanos. And then we see the scene where. You know, they're trying to decide who puts the gauntlet on. And he's very emotional and he's like he's like, No, I can do it. He's like, I'm the strongest Avenger. It has to be me. I'm gonna I'm gonna be the one to make the sacrifice. I have to do it. Like you don't understand. It has to be me. And he's like, What do you think is flowing through my veins right now? And then you have Don Cheadle go, Cheese whiz. Like it totally undercuts this really emotional, powerful moment with an out of place joke. This series doesn't do that. It has a lot of really funny moments, like when the uh, when the 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 droid I can't think of the name the type of droid it is, but the droid uh, finds a uh, little green guy and points his gun at him, and he little green guy puts his hand up, and all of a sudden like the thing explodes, and he kind of like looks down at his hand, like did I do that? <laughs> and then we see Mando standing behind him, like. It was a bit of an emotional moment, and it was kind of funny. Like, holy shit, did I do that? 
but it wasn't like it out wasn't, of place. Right. You didn't have to reach far for it. Like there wasn't like, you know, when Mando's getting his ass kicked by the by the, the mudhorn and we see the you know the, the baby save him and he realizes what just happened. You know, he's not just like sitting there and like the mudhorn dies and lets out a huge fart. Like like it's a serious moment. They take it serious. Like like there's some like witty banter that goes back and forth, but it's never out of character. It's never out of place. It never undercuts the moment. Well, and they do a really good job of establishing characters and the relationships between these two characters too, like Quill with the whole I have spoken thing. That is funny, but it's very it's very much his character and the dynamic between his character and the Mandalorian. Right. They're not doing it for, for laughs the same way Yoda's odd syntax was never done for laughs. It was just this is how he talks. Right. You know, or the scene where the Mandalorian and Cardoon are duking it out. They're having their, their lovers fight. And they it's pretty much a draw at the end and they look up and they see little baby just sitting there drinking his bone broth. broth. You know, just like, hey, what's up? You know? Mom, Dad, um, are you fighting again? <laughs> What are you guys doing? Um, but it wasn't out of character for any. And he's like, "Oh, any, do you want you want a drink or whatever? You want some soup? Yeah, or whatever he's the just fuck like, he hey, or just you want to get some chowder, Cara Dune? Yeah, it's like clearly we're better off, right? Which that's a, a relationship that I really like is the relationship between Mandalorian and Cara Dune. Well, I think they they have this mutual respect, and they were already friends, but like. Each one recognize like they kind of need re- each other at she, this point. Well, I'm talking about like when they first fight because that's like the first like they haven't spoken yet. Like he looks over and sees that she was, um, she was from the the uh, the Rebel Alliance because mm-hmm. she's got that tattoo on her on her cheek right under her eye. She recognizes him as a bounty hunter, so she's like she she thinks no that- one's taking me in right. So like. It's kind of like a misunderstanding, and, you know, that's his way of, like, I'm not here for you, but, like, you attacked me, so I will fight you. And, like, that's a great scene, because we get to see more of her. We get to see more of Grief Karga later on, because Karga really likes him, really likes Mando. And, you know, he's like, look, you know, I sent all the other bounty hunters after after uh you i sent them all for the for the child like i'm just covering my bases like it's nothing personal like what happens if you don't make it and if ig88 wasn't there i'm sorry ig11 uh voiced by taika watiti and fucking amazing if ig11 wasn't there then you know he wouldn't have been able to make it through that that fight and, you know, if he hadn't, you know, he's needed help this whole time. Like, he hasn't been able to just run roughshod over everybody, no matter what the odds are. You know, and mm-hmm. it's it's nice to see that, you know, some of these enemies are becoming friends. Because it's that old, you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Because Grief Cargo wants nothing to do with the Empire. Right. And when you start seeing, like, this infestation of uh, stormtroopers... And all the stormtroopers we've seen so far are like their armor is beat up and all janky and like it's dirty. Clearly not. They've uh, they've been around. 
it's clearly not up to the same standards as it was during, you know, the height of the empire. Well, that's because the empire has fallen. Right. Supposedly. There are still local governors because, you know, this was a storyline that we saw in some of the expanded universe. Just because the emperor is dead doesn't mean all these guys, like these grand admirals, these grand moths, all these guys aren't just giving up their power. It's like, well, uh, I guess we're done. You know, they blew up the Death Star, so... They win. It's like, no, there's still going to be a lot of fighting right. because there's a power vacuum and someone is going to rush in and fill that. You know, like any time like a, a, an evil despotic dictator is, is taken out. We see this in Game of Thrones a thousand times. You know, like every time someone's taken out, somebody else has to take their place. And it's not always an improvement. Most of the time, it's way worse. Like rarely does it get better. And, you know, we get to finally see, like, the main bad guy. Because we don't know who the client is working for. Right. No, and that's that's true. Like, it's not the, the client who wants the asset. I mean, obviously, the client wants the asset, but the client is working for someone. And we find that out, um, you know, because somehow Mando has this, like telescopic vision with his uh, his scope for his rifle and he's able to like see and hear like through walls and shit like seeing heat signatures but like didn't think to use that when he was in his uh, in the cave with the mud horn like he just had like a flashlight it's like you're gonna tell me this dude who can fly through space in a spaceship and disintegrate people doesn't have a light on his fucking helmet like that was that was like my only real complaint but he's able to overhear this conversation between like the weird scientist guy who's wearing a Camino in patch and Camino is the uh planet where the clone facility is where Jango Fett cloned himself uh well as part of the agreement Jango Fett was cloned like millions of times but he also got a clone that would grow up normally as opposed to the accelerated pace that uh, they normally do. And that's where Boba Fett came from. So it's like, what is this guy from? We still don't know. Like, what does this Camino and scientist want? And my guess is probably has something to do now that we know that Palpatine was a clone like 65 times in a row. Um, probably has something to do with keeping Palpatine alive or maybe, uh, creating Snoke or maybe Palpatine's clone is pulling the strings because we get to see Giancarlo Esposito come in and like make demands and like this is the first time we see Mando not only like outmaneuvered and outflanked but like outgunned outclassed and it wasn't just him it was also Cara Dune and Grief Karga who are like really at the top of their respective games. Like they're not just pushovers. So for all of them to get taken advantage of is, you know, significant. And we have no idea about who uh, Moff Gideon is. We just know he is bad news because the fucking guy shows up in a TIE fighter. Like, that shit's nuts. Doesn't he have something? He does. We find this out after. Uh, 
and it's like the last shot of the show where Mando is able to, uh, after a long confrontation, he's able to um, shoot down. Because first of all, they have flame troopers that come in and spray fire everywhere, but the baby is able to like block them from the He's flame. Such a good little baby, and blast it back at the flame trooper. Such a good little doozer. But you know, Mando using his uh, rising phoenix, the jetpack, is able to take down the Tie Fighter. Like, not easy. Like, it's obviously a huge challenge, but he's able to do it. And we're like, all right, well, Moff Gideon's probably dead. But then we see him, we hear a sound, and then we see a black blade stick up through the uh, the hull of the ship and cut his way out. That, to me, was as impressive of a secret, keeping this secret. That was as impressive as seeing the little baby Yoda species because... He has the fucking dark saber, which is the lightsaber that the like the only Mandalorian Jedi that ever lived had. Like that's what he used, and it was passed down for generations. That it was lost, that it was found, and like a bunch of people had it. And there was this huge battle. Uh, Pre Vizsla got it, then uh, somebody else got it. I forget her name. She was the head of the Mandalorians for a while. I can't think of her name because I I'm not overly familiar with the character. And then, um, uh, what's his name had it? Uh, Darth Maul took it from him. Like, so Darth Maul had the fucking thing, and it was just lost. No one had any idea where it was. And, like, this asshole shows up with it. It was, I, I, wow. But not only that, going back to Lil Baby using the Force in that way, that was the biggest... Like, I mean, we saw him use the force healing on the Mandalorian, but that was the biggest thing that he's done force wise. Yeah, because he and he gets and and he's still just he's just a baby. So like exerts himself. Do exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like he gets all tuckered out. He's just a sleepy little guy. Well, it's he's got a hover. He's so little. He needs his sleep. And like he does a bunch of different things like. We've seen, uh, canonically, we've seen uh, force healing because he heals Grief Karga after there's, like, an attack uh, in, like, the last couple of episodes, like, when they team back up. Um, We see him heal Grief Karga, which astonishes everyone. We see uh, him use the force to, you know, stop objects, to lift objects. That's old hat. We've seen that a bunch of times. That's nothing new. The fire thing, though, that's something that's a little different. Like, we we get to see the, uh, the, the, the blaster bolt stopping power that Kylo Ren has, which was, like, new and exciting. But we had never seen, unless I'm forgetting something or, or not remembering any, you know, or something I hadn't seen yet. We'd never seen someone really battle fire. Like when Mace Windu got the shot of uh, Django Fett's um, flamethrower in his face, 
he kind of like did a backflip off the balcony. Like he didn't force it back at him. And Mace Windu is one of the most powerful force users there was. This is something that's new and unique. Like he kind of puts him in a force field and then blows all the flame right back at the, the guy who's spewing it from his gun. Like Yoda species is super powerful with the force as it is, but he's untrained. Like, or so we think. Well, he's he's a child. Like in the, well, Yoda's we, dead again, at this point. Like we don't. The only other, the only other two of his species that we are aware of, Yoda and Yaddle, are both dead. Like Yaddle's been dead for like close to fifty years. You know, because that was in, uh, I think, episode two she died. Episode one, episode two. She certainly died either in or before Order 66. And Yoda died about five years prior. So where did this, like, that's the big thing. Like, where did this baby come from? Like, maybe, like, Yoda's people are, like, seed seedlings. They grow, they're like plants. But that's the thing, like, we, we, we don't know. We don't know anything, which makes me really excited about the end of the last episode of the most recent, well, the first series, season of The Mandalorian. Um, Mando takes Baby Yoda to go learn who he is. He's go like, find we gotta, his people. We gotta find, go... let's find your people. He's like, because I don't know what the fuck to do with you. Which is a great way to end because that means that, you know, next season we're going to start getting more answers. And from what I understand, we're going to see Ahsoka Tano. Uh, I have not watched what happened in um, Clone Wars, the final season, the final episode just aired. But apparently there's like some massive Ahsoka Tano revelation. And that's Dave Filoni's baby. And this is Dave Filoni's baby. So if we're going to see Ahsoka Tano, who we heard in uh, Rise of Skywalker, but we're going to see her. Apparently, Rosario Dawson's going to play her. Yeah, she's been cast. So we're going to see another Force user. And I'm really curious to see how she reacts to seeing this baby. Because it's going to be fucking insane. And I think it'll also give us a little bit of closure with whatever. Ahsoka is just fucking awesome. Like when we finally get to see her do stuff in Clone Wars, you know, when we start watching Clone Wars again, you're going to like Ahsoka Tano. Okay. So. You know who I like? Uh, Me. Yeah. The little baby. So the I think uh, that's pretty much a good spot to. Unless you have more stuff you want to talk about. I have a song. Oh, that's right. Yes. Yeah, so this is definitely a good time to stop. And no. Uh... <laughs> oh, no. All right. Go ahead. Do your. Do your. I am obsessed with a baby. I wrote a song. Okay. Let's uh, do the song. Ready? You ready? You ready? <clears throat> baby Babushka on the Mando show. Goes everywhere that the Mando goes. Just a little baby, but you're 50 years old. And you know how to use the force. 
baby babushka, baby babushka. Is your blankie warm? Does your mander know that you ate a froggy riding around in your hover crib, drinking your broth without a bib, using a force choke on Cara Dune? Come on, baby, do the magic hand thing. Baby babushka, baby babushka, did Mando tell you no? Did you decide to go and steal the silver bolly? Baby babushka, baby babushka, we won't call you the child, we'll call you Baby Yoda, cause Disney can suck it. Oh yeah, Jesse. We'll be right back. Hey there, this is JB. And if you enjoy Tales from the Crypt, then check out my show, Tales from the Podcast, where myself, and usually a very special guest, sit down to discuss the TV show, the films, the animated series, as well as the original comics. So check me out every other week on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and of course, at TalesFromThePodcast.com. Thanks for listening, kiddies. You're all a scream. <laughs> Hello again, everyone. It's Mr. Most Days Off from the Best Darn Diddly Review Show, here with a special message for you from Richie the Whiz Kid. You know, a town without Best Darn Diddly is a little like the mule with the spinning wheel. No one knows how he got it, and danged if he knows how to use it. The name's WizKid, Richie the WizKid, and I come before you good fans of Springfield with probably the greatest podcast. Uh, it's not for you. It's more of a Shelbyville podcast. Now, you wait here just a minute. We're twice as smart as the people of Shelbyville. You tell us where to listen to Best Darn Diddly and we'll listen. I'll tell you exactly where you can listen to it. You can catch the Best Darn Diddly review show each and every Monday on bestdarndiddly.com. So hop on the monorail and join us on this journey through the Simpsons series. You're my honey bun sugar plum, pumpy umby umpkin. You're my sweetie pie. You're my cupcake gumdrop, snickums, bookums. You're the apple of my eye. And I love you so, and I want you to know that I'll always be right here. And I love to sing three songs to you because you are so dear. We are back. I hope you enjoyed that little song. Um, if you didn't see that circulating around social media a few months ago, um, it's a little video and it just keeps showing like clips of like little baby Yoda doing little, little baby Yoda baby things. Doing little baby Yoda stuff. But, uh, you know, now. This, this has me wondering whether, you know, because we're using a lot of Mandalorian uh, music in this, so I'm wondering if we're going to get, like, a cease and desist uh, from Disney or Raffi first. So I'm kind of curious as to... <laughs> I mean, Disney I doesn't like, need the money, but Raffi well, might. But Disney is... I have I have a love-hate relationship with Disney as a conglomeration. Raffi I think would be cool because he would he would appreciate the creativity. Yeah. But, you know, maybe He'd you know, be like as long as you don't parody Bananaphone, I am okay. Yeah. 
I guess. So, uh, I hope you enjoyed that. Like, there was a lot of information thrown at you, and like we really nerded out because there's a lot of like deep cuts. In well, there. I mean, like there's a lot. There's a lot. There was a lot that happened in that last season. I'm really excited for the second season. I mean, now would be a great time to drop it. But oh, I know. I, I know. I believe it's all filmed. Yeah, they're like finishing it's, up the special just, effects. Yeah, and so it's all in post production stuff, which can take a while. We you totally know. forgot about that that joke you mentioned it while you know while I was doing some editing in between, like adding in like some of the break stuff, you know the scene where they're like, "Oh, we can get out," you know, Carl Weathers is like, "We can get through this, baby. Just do the magic." Come hand on, baby, thing. do the magic hand thing. And he kind of like, ah. yeah, he kind of like puts his hand up, you know, and like waves oh. at him, and the baby just looks back and waves at him. How? It's like you gotta remember he is still a baby. Like Well, and that's one of the things, I mean, not to get off on this tangent again, but that's kind of one of the things I love about this character is yes, he's amazing. He can do so many different things. He can use the force. There's so much we don't know about him, but he's still just a baby. Yeah, he's a you he's know. a toddler. You know, playing being being, you know, just ooh, shiny, you know. <laughs> like yeah, what's like, this? Can I touch it? Can I can I stop a it? I can stop a rampaging mudhorn, but I also want to press all the colored buttons. Right. Like yeah. it's just it's it's perfect. To me, it's really good uh character development. Like in my yeah. opinion. I just I, I really appreciate that. So we have a couple of things for you this week. <gasps> we have a new battle. Yeah, so there was some technical difficulties with the battle last week. It, for it's whatever called reason. We Don't Know What Day It Is. Yeah, it's called It Didn't Post, but it, whatever. you know, we'll It didn't happen. But I think, I think, maybe. It was the will of the force. It, it was, because they just they wanted us to do this battle instead. Yes. So we so, got a brand new battle. And when we have a brand new battle, of course. We have to play the battle music. So, Ashes, what do we got? So, this week, we are throwing down the great Mando showdown. We have Jango Fett versus Boba Fett versus Din Djarin versus Pre Vizsla. Yes. And uh, the location is Malachar 5. Malachor. Malachor. That's another I'm deep very cut. well versed in the Star Wars universe. Uh, I picked the location. We're trying to come up with like some good ones. And I thought Malachor 5, especially after the uh, last battle of the Mandalorians, like the, this huge, like cataclysmic thing where it was like Mandalorians and Jedi and Sith. And it was just this huge, like apocalyptic battle. Um which left which decimated all of the all of the um all of the, 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 the parties involved and they uh they never really recovered but it's the, the the site of the final um final stage of Knights of the Old Republic two, which is just a phenomenal fucking game. And if you've never played it you really should because it's awesome. Um so that's our battle for this week. But that's not all we have. We also have some wine facts and some science facts. So 
Do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? I would love to whine about wine. Okay, you can go first. So if you recall, a few episodes ago, I talked about this Carlo Rossi sangria, the three different types that I was trying. Well, I talked about two because I hadn't tried the third. I talked about the pineapple and the raspberry, and I loved them both. And I said, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to go back. I'm going to get the watermelon sangria, and I'm going to try it for That's you. That's not what happened. That's not what happened. I went to the store and I bought okay, five so bottles of sangria. Somebody went to the store and obtained this magical elixir called watermelon sangria. And oh my goodness, it was really good. So I so good. thought it I thought it was going to have more of a watermelon taste to it. And it doesn't really um I was kind of hoping that it was going to taste like a watermelon jelly rancher or maybe like a less sour version of those watermelon sour patch kids. It doesn't, but it's still really good. You can definitely taste the the melon, but it's kind of like I that couldn't fake taste the water. You can taste the water go to hell. <laughs> it definitely kind of has like that fake fabricated melon taste to it, but it's not horrible. Almost like a kind of like a candy melon. Yeah, it's definitely like the closest approximation I had to it wasn't the Jolly Rancher. It was the Big League Chew Watermelon. See, I don't think I ever tried that. Yeah. Some folks will get it. So it was definitely, um, obviously, very fruit forward. It was really sweet. Had kind of a, almost like a rosé quality to it. But. Still really, really sweet. So you did get some of that melonness. There was uh, a lot of peach in it as well, which typically I don't deal well with peach flavors. I just don't really love peaches. But I didn't I didn't mind it. I didn't hate it. Um, and yeah, it, there wasn't really... It, it, it's not a complex flavor. There's not really much to it. It's just like a watermelon sangria flavored wine. I would absolutely get it again. Um one thing I might try doing this summer is turning it into a frozen watermelon sangria. So that might be an option. Maybe make it, maybe add some like rum to it or I don't know, something. But, but I feel like watermelon slushies are in my future this summer. But yeah, the, it's Carlo Rossi. It's his brand of of sangrias. Now, typically, you can buy the wines in, like, the big jugs. Unfortunately, these guys aren't available in the jugs, which is probably a good thing. <laughs> we would die. But they're less than $4 a bottle. It's like so $3.59. Really, yeah, you really can't beat it. It's, it's super cheap. It's, like, perfect if you just kind of want to break up the monotony of quarantine you want something a little different i've been you know drinking a lot of boxed reds but it's been nice to kind of have like a little bit of a a change of pace a little something you know sweeter definitely a really good dessert wine because gonna, it's it's super sweet i'm going to say it's definitely a nice wine where you could sit if you have like a porch or oh you know, like God, a little balcony a uh like if you're in one of, like our old apartment had a little balcony like sitting out on the porch or the balcony, you could definitely. Um, it would be really refreshing on like yeah. a nice day. Nice, like you come home from work, the sun is just set. I'm outdoorsy in that I like to get drunk on, on porches. Yeah. You know, yeah, 
it's uh, it's good for that, especially chilled. Because I got I got all five kinds. Because they also have the Moscato. It was a yeah Moscato and sangria and a pink Moscato. Oh, pink Moscato. I knew sangria, it was pink, I which was remember. really good too. Uh, maybe I'll review those next week. Yeah, I mean it's not like they're expensive. Like you know, I picked up all of those. I picked up the five flavors and a bottle I mean, of my. Here's uh, the thing. Orange it's, vanilla. They're rum. all not bad. Costs like, like thirty bucks. Some I like better than others, but they're all really good. And I mean, like hell, right now, I mean, it's cheap, and it works, and the flavors are good, and it gets you a little tipsy, and it just kind of takes the edge off of the moment. So you yeah, know, it's, it's good stuff. I, I like it a lot. You like it a lot. It's it's not something I would drink every single day. No, it's way too sweet to to drink every single day. But yeah. you know, if you've or I don't know. Just, just check looking them out. for a change of pace. Just check them out. They're really yeah. good. So this week, my science fact. I want to talk a little bit about uh, ballistics and like you know because we talked about how the uh, Mandalorian used different types of armor to uh, to kind of uh, aid him in battle, where he was able to uh, you know take direct shots on his Beskar. Like he, his original armor got beat up a lot um you know it did absorb some some shots like it, you know it, the shot didn't kill him but it definitely injured him so there are different levels i was looking at different levels of uh, bulletproof vests as well now there are some that are like super super heavy duty and like you'll see like the uh the bomb squad guys wear those um there are some that just have like a ceramic or Kevlar plate. And what these do, how they work is the plate will absorb the impact of the bullet and force the bullet to, to shatter. Um, obviously there are certain types of ammunition that will either penetrate or explode on impact. But what these do, like you will still feel the impact. Uh, we saw this in uh, the second yeah, the second John Wick movie where he gets the the bulletproof lining on the inside of his of his vest or his uh, his suit jacket, where it'll stop the bullet, but it's still gonna you know it could break a rib or bruise a lung. You know the heavier duty, uh, the heavier duty ones can you know they're they're stab proof. You know, so you can't even get stabbed, which is insane. Because it's you know the, there's close quarter stuff too, and there's you know it, it all depends on what the uh, the type of ammunition you're using, the range, you know the type of weapon, but you know it'll stop most uh, small arms fire. You know if someone's shooting a, like an RPG at you, you're you're gonna have a bad time. Um, but yeah, it's just there's a lot of it, there's a lot of scientific background that uh, Star Wars kind of borrows from. So this would be like, you know, he went from, you know, a cheap vest to, you know, one of the top of the line ones that, you know, the Bomb Squad guys use because that has to absorb a lot of impact. So we have some stuff coming up. What do we got next week? Next week, we're talking about a Simpsons one-off character. Now, this character only appears in one episode. However, the notoriety that this character has gained is phenomenal. From 
people getting this character tattooed on them. People are still talking about this character. At some point. It's, it's, you know, uh, some people's top of their favorite character list. He is definitely my favorite one-off character. We're talking about Hank Scorpio. Oh, yes. And Project Arcturus. Uh, Hank Scorpio, voiced by Albert Brooks. Just, not only is it one of the best episodes, You Only Move Twice, uh, but Hank Scorpio is such a fun character. Because he's one of those, like, he kind of straddles the line between, like, comedy and sociopath. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you have uh, any thoughts on that character and you want to kind of, you know, follow along with us or send us some feedback, uh, if you have Disney+, Plus, watch it. Otherwise, dig out your DVDs, your Simpsons DVDs, and watch it on there. And um, send us some feedback at Podcast at gmail.com. And uh, I think that's about it. Yeah, so I think with that being said, we will see see you next Thursday. Thursday.